you know, as kids, we used to use the comment to our friends, you're okay, the world's crazy. Did you ever have the feeling in this year, 1973, that maybe you're nuts, or if you're not nuts, maybe the world is nuts? Mm -hmm. And then you get to wonder, who decides who's crazy? And we know there are millions of people throughout the world and all societies and mental institutions, and there are people outside in power positions. And you start wondering, wait a minute, who has made the decision those people should be in and the other people decide? And that's pretty much the basis of this gathering around the microphone this morning with Ollie, Big Bob, Medium Bob, and Marilyn. All four have been in mental institutions. And they have some excellent ideas, and one of which is being uh, fulfilled at the moment. as a coffee house. The group is called the Committee of Us, and uh, we'll hear from Ollie and his colleagues and Big and Medium Bob and uh, Marilyn about this coffee house in Uptown and about a project called Homecoming, a new approach to uh, halfway houses to be run, by the way, by the people who've been in mental institutions, as is this coffee house. I thought there's a song written by a friend of mine, Jeremy Taylor, and it's about a boy named Paul. And Paul was put away, and here's how it happened, and then we'll comment about that as we go along. In hearing that song, uh, Big Bob, Medium Bob, Ali, and Marilyn, Medium Bob, you're thinking as you heard that song. Yeah, I was. I was thinking that it, it, it's a um, it's a really funny song because in the end he says, you know, why did he turn out to be such a weak person? And it, it, the feelings that I got while he was singing about his parents were really something else. That he had no choice. You know, his parents helped him decide that he was going to turn out that way, and that that he was going to be kind of a helpless person. Yeah. Is this a you talking about yourself? Somewhat, yeah. Um, you know, like most most people decide that they're going to go crazy between the time they're zero and five years old. Um, that's my opinion. Um, I think that in Paul's case, he had a lot of help from his parents. It wasn't necessarily his own decision. You know, I think he was kind of forced into it. And I think that probably happened to me. In therapy, I've been trying to recount about the time that I did decide that I was crazy, and I think it was around the time I was four years old. I haven't been back to the feeling yet, but I'm working on it. Yeah, I know that uh, you also have groups at your coffee house, Committee of Us. It's called Committee of Us Coffee House yes. right. in Uptown, a psychodramas, and we'll hear about that as we go along. Big Bob, you were laughing times you heard that. Yeah, it reminded me of a little bit, you know, like when I was a little kid and I was raised up and I went with. Uh, taking showers with them, you know, and my mom used to spank me because I used to do things that I wasn't supposed to, you know. <laughs> so that was, you know, that's that's in other ways it minded me the way my parents raised me, and then they told me I had to learn when I'm a when I because I won't be a sissy if I don't learn, you know. And I didn't have any other choice, so it was my parents raised me that way. I'm just lucky I ain't, didn't come out to being a maniac, sex maniac, mm -hmm. really. Yeah, that's But when did you decide, you know, a medium Bob, well, you decided? When I said, when I was about seven years old. You decided what? Well, what was happening? What, did I, what was it all about when I was seven years old? And one time I asked my dad, but I seen a guy from mom, and I asked him, I said, what was he doing on top? And, he, and my old man was sick, you know. Yeah. 
So that's how I really found out. I think with the effect on you, uh, he says he decided, being about he decided to go crazy when he was about four or so. That you serve time. If I serve time, I love this phrase, I said serve time. In all of you did in mental homes, you know, and uh, serve time. Does it have that effect, uh, Ali? I think it's, you know, the time I serve is, you know, time, time out of my life. Uh, I don't know if I decided to go crazy in the way that the, the, Bob's, the, the, the Bobs are talking about it. Um, yeah. Strange things started happening in my head one day, which, you know, I've been told since were chemical reactions, not psychological per se, but I went to a doctor and he said, oh, you're just uptight because you missed your girlfriend. And I said, well, you take these pills and everything will be all right. So what he was doing, he was saying, you know, I'm your daddy, everything's going to be all right. And um, now Paul's in a mental home, you know, and his parents are maybe gone. Maybe Part of the song. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Maybe his parents are in their graves. But the mental home acts as parents to him, you know, and they keep telling him that he's crazy. And you know, once you're told you're crazy, I'm not believing it. Hmm. Marilyn? Well, from one thing, uh, from the song, it just sounded that he stuttered. I wouldn't consider him crazy. It's just an uh, impediment, that's all. And I think he did have some hang-ups all by parents, but I don't blame him. It sounded like they didn't care about him. What about yourself? Upstairs, we're talking to the cafeteria. You said you've always been sick all your life. Right. Uh, see, Big Big Bob doesn't believe you. Well, it's true. I don't believe it. I, I think, I think, well, I think you were told you were sick. She just believes that what her parents says, you know. She's sick. She's not. She's not all that sick. Well, I get, I get depressed, and I forget things. You're not human if you don't get depressed, you know? You're not human. What the hell? We're sitting around talking, the committee of us, and there's a coffee house. Well, I suppose we start at the beginning, Ollie or Medium Bob or Big Bob or Marilyn. But we start beginning how the committee of us came to be. You better talk to Mr. Medium Bob. Bob. Okay. About a little bit. <coughs> well, let's see, it's about two years ago now. There were some people from the state that were interested in the community and the people in the community. They were working in halfway houses and shelter care homes and things like that. And they decided that they were going to reactivate a group called the Committee of Us. At one time, the Committee of Us was quite a revolutionary group, and they wanted to do a lot of changes in the hospitals and in the shelter care homes and things like that. So we got together a small group of people and started the Committee of Us, and we incorporated uh, as a nonprofit organization. And at that time, we had two goals. Um, when the committee was really small, we had two goals. One was a coffee house, which we now have. So we've met that one goal. And the other one was to work in halfway houses and bridge the gap between the hospital and the community with the people uh, to help them get settled in apartments if that's what they wanted, to help them fight their problems in the halfway houses, to help them live better lives, to enrich the quality of their lives, um, to give them a place to go as far as the coffee house is at night and on long holiday weekends when there aren't professional mental health people around, uh, to offer friendship, to give them a bus ride maybe to a basketball game, which we have done. Um, go on an outing to the park and have a picnic, talk about our lives, talk about ourselves, find friends, uh, just to, to make life in Uptown generally better than it, it really is, or that it is now. In medium, uh, Ali, he says something about when there are no professional people around. Right. I can't 
can I can explain that to you. Okay, okay big problem. Well, the group, the group asked us, we're none of us is professionals, and we don't think that we need professionals. We think we can do it ourselves, and we're and we're trying. We made our own coffee house, like Bob just got through saying, and uh, we did. We like like you said, we started out. We wanted to make a lot of things, and it was very hard. We tried, and we're and we're still trying to get it up to be some some point. And like I said, no confessionals. Why? Why I come saying if you if you think we have confessionals, a lot of people don't like us because we got confessionals. This way, everybody's is in our is in it. It has been hospitalized. And this way, this way, if they can't say we're, well, we're hiring professionals and professionals thinks that they know it all, we don't have that. Uh, I think there's one thing. One thing when when a when a professional says you're crazy, it means something. But when somebody else who has been crazy says you're crazy, it means something else. And it's easier to talk to a person who's been in a hospital, talk about your craziness, talk about your fears, talk about all the things that that put you there. And I think it's easier to get together that way, especially when you just come out of the hospital, because you just come out of a you know place like Chicago State or whatever. No matter, even if it's a very swank, nice hospital, you just come out of the hospital, you're very disoriented and spaced out, your welfare money's been cut off, have to p get a place to live, you have to make an application to a halfway house. There are all these things that you have to do, and most of all, you're not sure what happened to you. You hallucinated for, for, for two years straight, maybe. You don't know what's going on. And, you know, psychiatrists can explain it to you, perhaps, in some sort of academic logic. But Marilyn can, you know, can say, well, you know, I went through the same thing, and you know, it's, it's going to pass, and, you know, it, it'll work out. Um, if you take away all the tranquilizers of people in Uptown, just take away all the tranquilizers and give them all some dignity, you give them all some human respect, you know, mental health will have gone a long way. Speaking of tranquilizers, a lot of people, uh, the people who come to the half, uh, for people who come to the coffee house, committee of us, who are most of the patrons who come there? Most of the people are, are residents of Uptown. Most people are poor on welfare or unable to get on welfare for one reason or another. And most people are also ex-mental patients. All of the participants in the group are ex-mental patients. And many other people from the community come in. Many alcoholics come in and they sit down, we drink coffee with them, and, and we're friends. And you also you said something up at the cafeteria that many are on tranquilizers given to them by professionals. Right. Mo most of the people, at least 90%, of, of the ex-patients, I would say, are, are on psychiatric drugs. I think you know, all of us in this room are probably on psychiatric drugs. What's a psychiatric drug? What is a psychiatric drug? It's a drug that does something to your brain and nervous yeah, system. Yeah, like toysine keeps your nerves down and, you know, like you're not human. That's the, that's oh, it. I like LSD. M Marilyn? LSD would be... I mean, what is the drug that is given by the professional? Is, is it to make that person who is different yeah, to behave keep him, himself. To keep him nervous. That's what they're supposed to say. If you need it, if you're going to get up and throw throw this chair through the window, the only way you're not is if you take this medicine, you won't get able to get up and throw it through it. You be. I, th you I, th I think some some of the drugs have a place if they're used, you know, in small quantities for the right problem. But you look at, you know, I was down at Reed, Reed Hospital the other day, and I walked down the streets in Uptown. I'm in the committee, and people are over medicated. They're walking around overdosing, for one reason or another because they only see the psychiatrist once every two months, because the psychiatrist would rather have them quiet in a half a house or the hospital, so they don't cause as much trouble. 
Medium Bob, you were thinking of something. I was thinking about, you were asking the question about tranquilizers yes. and, and what are they good for, you know. Sometimes they help you to stop hearing voices. You know, what so kind of voices? Oh, wow, like voices from TV and radio that tell you to do crazy things. Ah, uh, go ahead, keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know what to say about that. You know, like, um, if it helps you do something like that, I think it's a valid reason for mm. giving a drug. But a lot of people in Uptown, like Ali was saying, are over-medicated, and it's because they do want to be under control that they might live in a halfway house, they might throw a chair, or they might break a window or, right. or say something wrong. Or that. You know, just you say breaking a chair or throwing a window, uh, therefore you've got to medicate them. But big, a medium Bible says you won't hear those voices. You hear the, keep hearing these voices. Now, it's not Joan of Arc hearing strange voices. It's not somebody hearing a voice of a day. You're talking about the TV commercials. I'm talking about all of TV. <laughs> You're talking about, about TV commercials. about the late shows, the way they kill people, yeah. the way they do this. And things like that. Now, this is run by sane people, right? These <laughs> programs are run by sane people, is that it? Well, it's supposed to be. Well, I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's really, it's really the th uh, same. Just like this, when you got, when you come over from the army and you come over here, and just like when you, when you learn how to kill over there, and you kill somebody here, you go to the, you go to the lecture chair. If you, if you, if you, you know, if you have your, if you kill the man self-defense or not. You know, this is this crime. It's like that, and a lot of people believe in the Bible. You should not kill. And then when you go over the army, they make you kill, or they either dope you up and get you over in the line and shoot them down out of the trees and that. I was told this. I never was in, and I tried to go in. I was classified A1 until they found out I was from the state hospital. Then they classified me for a 4F. They would not take me. And that's what burns me up. I mean, when I try to get a damn job on your avocation, it says, have you ever been hospitalized? Have you ever been in penitentiary? And you say yes. And then when you go up to the man and you put no, he hires you. And then he finds out you have. And he come, first he comes and tells you, why did you, why did you tell us the truth? I said, if I told you the truth, you wouldn't hire me. And, he, and sometimes the guy comes out and says yes. He says, because that's the way it's supposed to be. So it looks like we're, this time we're getting out of the hospital into the community, it sounds like we don't have our rights. And I thought we we supposed to have our civil rights. That's what I Just thought. on a very basic human matter, I went to see John, who was a former vice president of the committee last night down at his halfway house. Okay, I got there at a quarter to five. At five o'clock, they said visiting hours are over. Residents could only have visitors between 10 a.m. and 5 a.m. You know, and all the, all the visitors had to leave. That's not a human way to treat somebody. That's part of their policy, and they showed it to me. You know, we had um, this woman, Barbara, who's very active with us, and um, she's an outpatient. She's been an outpatient for some time, but she had to come in and get a couple electroshock treatments recently. There was no reason for that, and that's murder. That's, you know, that's killing brain cells. Electric shock treatments. We'll come back to a lot of subjects you're talking about. Were you any of you subject to electric shock treatments? I had shock treatments, yes. You when did? I was down Bernard, that's what they give me to supposed to get my mind straightened back up, you know. Then from there, they sent me to Dixon State School, and I was so far, I was just getting back, and I ran away. I went UA, and I got myself a job. Then I lost my job after I put down an avocation at O'Hare Airport, and then I went on public aid. 
and then after I got on public aid, I've been trying to go to work, and I was getting fused. You got on public aid, and then you tried to go to work, I'm sorry. Yeah. I got on public aid, and I wanted to get off of public aid. I wanted to be like anybody else, you know, get a job, go out and pay my rent, do my own things, you know. And I was fused that I couldn't do it. And then once I was proved I was crazy, I didn't have my civil rights. That's just the way it looks to me. Is this happen? Does this go on strong, uh, medium, Bob, or Ali, the question of uh, the job difficulties and application someone who's been in a mental institution? Anyway, I think so. I think, you know, I can go in and apply for a job, and they'll look at me one way, and then, you know, if I say that I, that I have been in a hospital, they'll look at me another way. I've had that experience. Um, you know, I've had jobs, you know, but never have I, you know, recently written that I've been, you know, I've been, been in the nut house, you know, and never have they found out. Well, the reason why I'm saying, like O'Hare at airport, they take a picture of your identification, your fingerprints. There ain't no way in hell you can lie out of it, okay? That's how they found out I was from in the hospital. When they found out... You were applying for a job there. I applied for yeah. it. I mm. applied for a job, mm. and I said I was not in. It mm. took them yeah. six months to right. figure... The, well, they really didn't want to get a hold of me, I guess. But after they found out, the man told my s secretary, Barbara was her, was her name, the man's secretary, and told me if they're going to fire me because I lied on my identification on, on the job form. So I went to the man, and I asked him, I said, if I would have put down I was in the hospital, would you hire me? He said, no. He said, I could not do that. He said, that's the rules. He says, you guys is all nuts. He says, stay away. He says, we can't, we can't cover you. We don't have that you much money. You say you guys are nuts? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I told him it wasn't for us nuts. The guy wouldn't have a goddamn job yeah. like us. Yeah. It wasn't for us. Yeah. I was thinking as, as Big Bob's talk, Medium Bob, Ali, or Maryland, earlier you were saying, talking about the places you were in, the different homes, whether it be Lincoln or Mantino or State, Chicago State, he said they're like the parent, the parents of, of, the, of Paul in that song. Mm -hmm. Is that it? And uh, they look at you as nuts too. Is that it? Yeah. Marilyn? Like, well, I went to Chicago Reed, and all they do is just give you medication. That's all they do. They don't spend much time with you. All you have, If you want any activity at all, you have to communicate with the other patients in the hospital. Maybe once in a while they, they arrange dances or uh, they have snacks. But, I mean, as far as individual attention, they don't give it to you, and I don't think that's right. And then uh, another thing is if you do have money, they take it from you, you know, and sometimes they steal it from you. And that happened to me. I had $60, and they put your money in, like, in a trust fund, and the woman who counted my money said I only had $40. And there was nothing I could do about it, and I've heard, I heard that it helped. It happened to uh, a couple of other patients. One woman said she had $1,400 on her. I, I hmm. wonder what happened about her money. I was just hoping maybe something could be done about that. Ali? I was at the same hospital she was talking about last week as, as, a, as a visitor. At, at Reed, visiting a friend, one of our members. And um, they had a ward meeting, which they allowed me to sit in on <coughs> because I thought I was a patient too. And they treated me like a patient. Um, Forty men in a room 
And one woman sitting in front of everybody, she says, now everybody, it's wartime meeting, is everybody happy? And she talked to us like we were two years old. And the guys had like, very excellent suggestions. Okay, can we have seconds, you know, mealtime? Uh, this chair is dangerous, can we fix it? Can we have our laundry done, you know, sometime? And uh, can we have movies from the library once a week? Nothing far out, nothing that anybody could call crazy, no matter what your, your standards of crazy is. And they said, that's a good idea, you know. We'll look into that. Nobody was taking notes. And I talked to the guys, says, you guys, finally they stopped suggesting things. And they said, um, look, I suggested this last week and last month. You know, I've been here for two months. I made the same suggestion every week, and they don't listen to me. So I'm not going to say anything else. So she said, okay, it's 3.30, award meetings, you know, are supposed to last until 4 o'clock so we can get our state money. If nobody has anything else to say, we'll have a half hour of silence. I don't remember having a half hour of silence when I was in that house until, you know, since I was, you know, in third grade and it was bad at school. You know, this sounds like a scene from One Flew Over Cuckoo's Nest. The woman sounds like Big Nurse. I should point out that uh, the four of us, the committee, not the four of us, the, the committee of us and a group called Homecoming, that's for changing the way halfway homes are being run, to have it run by those who've been in the homes rather than quote-unquote professionals, are having a benefit October 28th, the 11th Street Theater a benefit to see one flew over the cuckoo's nest, which is so much on target as far as you're concerned. And it'll be, they're buying out the house. Your two groups are buying out the house at night. That's right. Uh, medium Bob, your thoughts. We're talking about... Talking about hospitals being parents. Yes. If, it's, uh, if, you want a <coughs> if you want a babysitter, you know, I'm sure you can find one, but to me that's what a hospital does, is they just babysit for you. Uh, they give you a place to sit during the day, a place to lay down at night, and three meals yeah, a day, and that's about it. They don't seem concerned, I and mean, it's aggravating, and it could happen to them. Who knows? I mean, I just didn't like their attitude, you know? How they looked at you. Like, like once in the hospital. How they treated you. <laughs> like once in the hospital, like I was, you know, a friend of mine was very, you know, broken up and crying, and, you know, I was, you know, fairly okay, and, you know, he was in his room. I just walked up and I hugged him for a few minutes. You walked up and you hugged him? My friend, you know, that's just a human, human gesture. Uh, and the nurse comes running in and she says, get out of his room immediately. And she was implying homosexual stuff yeah. going on. That wasn't the case. And, you know, she should have been able to give him, you know, any other patients this type of understanding, but she didn't, you know. So I, you know, I, I tried to, and she says, okay, you know, I says, lady, I'm not gonna rape the guy. So she kicked you out of the room because right. you were trying to console this guy who was crying right. by holding him. Right. And did, did she hold him? No, she went, she went back to her desk yeah, and sat behind it. the desk. How was it with halfway houses? Well, I live in one. Well, it's not too bad. Well, I, I, uh, I, Big Bob. To myself, halfway houses is a, is a bunch of crock of baloney. Any places they just get people up. This is another hospital place. Just like being, just like being in the hospital. You got rules. You got to follow them. If you don't, you're going to be sent back to the hospital wherever the hell you come from. And they they threaten you with this. Marilyn is scared because she ain't got. If she talks about it, she will not be at the Grassmere tonight. Okay. If it goes on about anything bad, she will be put out on the street. And we know this, and she knows it. That's why a lot of people are scared to come out and talk and say what it is. Well, it's fun. And Marilyn? 
It's kind of true, but I mean, I do like it. They show more concern than uh, than uh, when you're in the hospital. You know, I was thinking of something before we take a slight pause and hear about what happens at the coffee house run by the Committee of Us and the psychodramas and what how people help one another there and about the project called Homecoming. Uh, Ollie and Marilyn, Big Bob, Medium Bob are my guests. And isn't it funny? I said, well, I guess by not using your last names. You didn't mind, but I thought to myself, maybe no, because this very prejudice that is still so pervasive, isn't it? I was thinking so. I decided to use just first names. That in itself tells us a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. So let's take a slight pause and we'll return to Ollie, Marilyn, Big Bob, Medium Bob, after we hear this message. Bob. I'm resuming the conversations about who is crazy, who is not talking to four X, even the phrase four X. Do you mind do you, that phrase, X mental patients? Does that phrase disturb you when you refer to as that, uh, Medium Bob? Sometimes it makes me proud to think that I have friends that have been there and can talk to them better than I can to other people. Uh. When I when I first joined the committee, I couldn't believe. Excuse me, can't hear me. When I first joined the committee, I couldn't believe that they were in the hospital. I thought they were kidding me, because all of them seemed intelligent and normal, and unless unless uh, they're drunk, you know, or are quiet, then I'm then I'm not sure of their uh, mental ability. Big Bob. Well, for myself, I'm proud of, I'm proud of, and I can get out and do do this. I wish it would have done when I was into the hospital, and I would have known that they had something like this going on. That's me. Howie. Yeah, whoever I am, it's not it's not because of the hospital, but it's you know in spite of the hospital in many ways. And on that basis, I'm proud to, you know, to be out of it and ex-patient. You know. Before I ask Medium Bob, who, who conducts and with his colleagues some of the psychodramas at the coffee house, the committee of us in, in Uptown, uh, beginning we spoke of parents, but they are not solely it, are there? Other factors too that make for people like turning off society, in your case, Medium Bob. <coughs> I don't know what to say about that. Uh, like I've always been a loner. Uh, it was probably because my family was a lone family too and I didn't have much chance to develop real good relationships at home and I didn't carry it out when I went to school and things like that so I was always pretty quiet and that was I guess part of my decision to go crazy. It built up until the time that I was about 25 when I really freaked out and uh, just couldn't cope with, with anything and had to go to the hospital. Um, in psychodrama, sometimes we, we work on that. We work on parental messages. We work on messages from other people. Uh, it's really just a form of, of group therapy, and it goes on every Tuesday night from 7.30 to 9 o'clock. And you don't have to be a committee member to come. You don't have to be an ex-mental patient. Anybody can come to psychodrama. It's open. It's a free group. Oh, what, uh what, what sort of psychodrama? What's an example of one? Anybody? Big Bob, you ever taken part well, in Well, yes, I have. I have. I, uh, I had a lot, some problems, and they worked it out with me. And, I, you know, I think it was good. it's a good cause that we have a program like that going on. 
I really do. What's an example, Wanali, or anybody of a psychodrama case? Okay. Um, the psychodrama is, is more or less putting your, your personal problems on a stage and having other people act out the other roles of, of what's happening in your life. If it's a parental message you're working on, you pick somebody in the group to be your parent, mother and father, or either, and talk to them like you would talk to them if they were right there, and then the person will play the role of your parent and talk back to you. Um, sometimes this helps straighten out some parental messages, sometimes it helps straighten out problems on the job or in your daily life with your friends and acquaintances, stuff like that. An example of a psychodrama, well, it could get heavy, like uh, sometimes we worked on parental deaths or problems with jobs, getting jobs. Sometimes we role play uh, an interview with a job uh, that's coming up, like uh, somebody might be nervous about talking to an employer and explaining a two years absence from work or something like that. We work on stuff like that. I think parental death, is this, this aspect of guilt entering into guilt? You made to feel guilty at times. I'm just curious, you know, when you're in a mental institution. You see, you see, I, I, this is why I say it don't sound like professionals. Professionals will not come this strong with us. That's why I say we don't need professionals. See, like Bob, he's not a professional. I'm not a professional. Ollie's not a professional. And we can get, we can, we can answer more people questions better because they trust us. They know we're not. We've been in it. We've been through almost the same thing, but different ways. And this is the way I see. I can just, you know, agree with Bob that uh, ex-patients, you know, can help other patients in a lot of ways that professionals can't. Uh, when it gets to specialization, you know, some specific special point, brain damage, what have you, you know, of course you need the professionals, and that's what they went to school for. But when it comes down to giving people support and giving people reassurance, it's the people you live with and the people who have lived like you have <coughs> that can help. If you ask the families, the nature of the families you came from, I'm just curious about economic uh, uh Medium Bob, yours, how would you describe the family? Working class, uh, middle class, or what? Uh, working class. Poor? Working class family. You mean uh, low income, sort of, would you say? Oh, uh, maybe low middle class. Huh? Was it blue collar? Yeah, blue collar. Blue collar. What about you? Between. Bad and good, you know. My parents was some side of it. Some side of her was my parents was pretty good, and some side she wasn't worth the dime. No, I mean economically they were. Yeah, they were just right. What about you, Ali? My father's a clerk, a white collar clerk, typist mm -hmm. for uh, for a regular company, mm -hmm. Amtrak, mm -hmm. and they never had too much money. Mm -hmm. I never had a car until I was. Well, my parents didn't. I never had a car. My parents never had a car until I was about sixteen years old. They never had too much money. They were kind of educated, but never wealthy. What about you, Myrna? Well, my mother and father were divorced, and I lived with my mother, and my mother always had to work to support us. My father did send child support money for me, and... Um, Your father, white collar or blue collar? Just curious. He was a barber. He was a barber. You know, what's interesting about four here, there's no myth that upper-class people have nervous breakdowns more than working-class people, which, of course, is as fraudulent as a $9 bill. Right. 
And uh, here, I know it's blue collar, uh, low income, white collar, uh, service jobs, is what we're talking about here. But you know, I was I was yeah. in uh, one of the hospitals, uh, suburban hospitals, visiting somebody mm-hmm. this summer in the Plains, mm-hmm. and um, my friend was in an open ward. There was wall to wall carpeting, telephones in the rooms of the patients who could go out, mm-hmm. and they had this behavior modification program. If you're good, this is for rebel rousing, you know, little kids, <laughs> teeny boppers. If you're, if you're good, you know, they give you little tokens and maybe extra helping at dinner, and if you're bad, they take away those privileges. But if you're really good, you get to sleep on a water bed. And you know, you, you, you look at that place, and you look at like, you, and Bob can tell you the type of stuff, you know, or we can tell you the type of pl- stuff you have to sleep on with, and who you have to sleep with, like, you know, roaches and rats, at some of the lower class state hospitals. Yeah. And um, you know, think about behavior modification. That's a punishment, isn't it? Sort of the carrot and stick yeah. program, is that it? Right. Me and Bob, you were sitting there, you were smiling slightly to yourself. I was thinking about what you were saying about upper-class people have nervous breakdowns often. I think more often than not, they're eccentric rather than crazy, and whereas when you're in, in a working class or middle class, you're crazy instead of being eccentric. <laughs> you mean the double standard? Yeah. Yeah. When someone is very rich and behaves differently, he's eccentric. Right. When someone is not too rich, poor, and behaves differently, he's nuts. Actually. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, you know, like I was saying at the coffee, when we had coffee, the guys is very rich. They have to weigh, wake up and weigh who's going to rob them and who ain't. I don't have to wake up and weigh who's going to rob me because I don't have nothing to get robbed. So that proves that I'm not too crazy. They got What I heard here upstairs in the cafeteria, Big Bob, you were talking about the advantages of being right. quote unquote crazy. Right. <coughs> Some of those advantages? Well, it looks like I just said one of them, you know. There's a lot of others, you know. But uh, like I say, like lawyers, when they send somebody up to the, up to the, up to the penitentiary, and and he, and he worries about it. If the guy ever going to get out, <coughs> what, what's going to happen? Is going to have him bumped off, and he can't sleep. Who's going to kill him and that? Hmm. You know, I couldn't. I couldn't be a confessor. Yeah. I would. Yeah. I couldn't make it. Yeah. Because I'd be ready, and I, and I can sleep. I can lay down and go to sleep. Yeah. He can't. Yeah. He'd be wearing, who's the next guy? Why did I have to send this guy up for? Why did I have to send this man to the electric chair? Who's got the rights putting the man to the electric chair? There's the one, one you spoke of, the one negative part, that is all responsibility is taken away from you. Right. right? Somebody does your thinking for you. Yeah. I, th- I think there's only one reason that people go crazy, and that's because they feel powerless, they feel helpless. They feel, okay, they can't make it, they can't you know, make any decisions about their life with their mommy and their daddy, or they feel that they can talk to the welfare worker and he won't listen, or the cop, on the, or, or the cop that patrols the area is just going to take away all your power. You know, I feel that the government, you know, it's going to take away all your power. That's why there's like a, a neurosis of helplessness, political helplessness among a lot of people. And, <coughs> you know, if you, when finally you just feel, okay, I'm a child, I'm helpless, I'm powerless, there's nothing more I can do. So you strike out, you know, in a very unproductive way. Or you strike at yourself, and you withdraw, and you give up, and the total withdrawal is suicide, you know. So, um, you know, what we have to do is we have to, you know, come to a position of strength within ourselves. You know, realize that we do have a power to change ourselves, and a power to change the society if we can. And that's what the committee is about, is people changing society, at least our neighborhood, in Uptown, in the ways we can, and changing ourselves in the ways that we can.
you know, with each other. When you, Bob, is what Ali is talking about really is the key, isn't it, to almost everything? That feeling of powerlessness, nothing you can do about it. Mm-hmm. Make someone say, step out. We're getting tired of being treated like hum- uh, animals, not like human beings. And the way I say this, I say it like why, when I was discussing a while ago about us trying to get jobs and we get fused, we're human beings and they will never give us the chance to prove it. Once we're nuts, we be always be nuts. That's what they got you in know, There's something else here, isn't there? Over and beyond. We're talking now about people who've served time. I literally say this in metal homes or in halfway houses, say, taking over their own destiny, their own work. This applies to people on welfare, doesn't it? Yep. It applies to minority groups, doesn't it? It applies mm-hmm. to old people, doesn't it? Yep. Mm-hmm. It applies to women. It applies to homosexuals. It applies to everybody considered outside, whatever that middle is. Isn't this what we're talking about, Rick? Because you're talking, even though we're talking about people who've been considered different, nuts, crazy, unstable, we're talking about all those others, and it's powerlessness. You're talking, and now you're talking about taking over your own lives. That's what. And those people are coming together. You know, in uptown in the coffee house. You know, you walk in the coffee house tonight, and you'll see people from ages of 18, maybe to 75. And you'll see, you know, you'll see people of all races, you know. You'll see a lot of different types of people, you know. Most of them, you know, have been so-called crazy, but people, you know, run the whole level of, you know, the whole continuum of, you know, saying the very insane, any type of sanity that there is. But they're all types of people, you know. Black people getting together with, you know, Appalachians because they know that they're in a similar situation. And we're all in a similar situation in this country. And you say as far as the age is concerned, they're all ages there. That's interesting. We think, always think of coffee houses where young people come. Here's it's 18 to 75. Well, the reason why we made it to 18 on up, uh, it was it's against the law after yeah. 10 o'clock yeah. having a minor right. in there. So we just wanted, don't want to break the But rules. you have older people there, too. Yeah. Where, where is uh, the for, uh, committee of us? It's on 46... Uh, 4608 North Sheridan Road is our office, and 4613 is our coffee house. Well, the coffee is 4613. North Anybody's Sheridan welcome Road. there. Right. Anybody, right. Huh? The coffee's only a nickel a cup. Too. It's coffee. only a nickel a cup. A nickel a cup. Right. And, it, we're, we're, you know, a nickel a cup, it adds up, you know, a nickel so a cup. So, it's 4813 North Sheridan. 4613. 4613. 4613. You open 46. every night? Every night except Wednesday. Every night, but Wednesday night, and Wednesday night is our meeting night. And so you have coffee in this conversation, sometimes psychodrama. Right, and people are welcome to come to the meetings on Wednesday. Oh, there? Right, sure. which are, you know, if they... If they, if if they have any good ideas? No. Mm-hmm. They're the smoothest parliamentary procedure meetings I've ever seen. You mean, really? And they have parliamentary procedure meetings? Right, because And these are meetings come. run by people who have been in mental institutions. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm and now, I, I suppose people are coming there to have a, cho- a chance of comparing those meetings, say, with City Hall... City Council chairman is run by Mayor Daly and decide which of the two is the more civilized. Yeah, That'd be interesting. Like that. That'd be to see Paris. Like That'd be very interesting. Go to a city council meeting first and then go to your meetings. Where, where, where is the meeting hall? At 4608 North Sheridan. I mean, 4613 North Sheridan Road. That's on Wednesday. Wednesday night <coughs> at 730. You, you know, we haven't talked about your connecting group, the other group, Homecoming. Okay. And what's the homecoming, purpose of homecoming? About oh, a few months ago, a woman named, named Barbara walked in, w- walked into the coffee house meeting, um, one of our Wednesday night meetings, and 
She got on the agenda and she said, wouldn't it be nice if we all could live together, or at least some of us could live together and run our own show. And she talked a little about her idea of an alternative halfway house, and a number of people joined with her, some committee people, some other ex-mental patients, and we've got a lot of support from other people in the community. Um, we're talking about an alternative to the halfway houses that people here have been talking about, which run from good and overcrowded to bad and just decrepit. Um, we're talking about something that's run for and by ex-patients, and that the one or two house coordinators would be on a, would serve on a rotating basis and also be ex-patients. And we feel that this is something that would, you know, take people into a whole living situation that would be positive for them, give people, you know, the pure support, you know, create a living situation where you don't have to be under the guidance of, oh, of a house manager that gives you $2 a day and allowance out of your welfare check for your food. And uh, people would live communally and cooperatively. Now what we've done is we've incorporated as a nonprofit organization. We've gotten a large donation of furniture, which is, which is nice, but we don't have a house to put the furniture in. At this point, one of the reasons for the benefit is to raise money for a house. And we need a house, we need <coughs> people to help raise money for a house. We need any type of work that people can do to create this new type of living situation. The committee is entirely behind it, and we're yeah. entirely behind the committee. Let me just say this to the audience. Those of you who haven't seen One Blow of the Cuckoo's Nest, uh, if you do see it, and I trust you do on the night of October 28th, because it should be a tremendously exciting evening. Well, first for the play, and second for the audience, it's an audience of very live people, people who know what One Blow of the Cuckoo's Nest is all about. The company, the, the acting company, the performance is excellent. It's at the 11th Street Theater, but October 28th is the benefit for the committee of us and for homecoming. And you can call 275-7997, 275-7997, and tickets are a fan, aren't they? which is quite reasonable indeed. And it all, that's the project sounds fantastic. This would be then halfway houses, just as the coffee house, run by people who've been there. Let's have a go around. Just we, we have time, considerable time, because there's so much you know to talk about. We haven't. I know. I know that big Bob is bursting the talk. Many of his experience lost. Medium Bob, you've been sitting there for a while. But <laughs> about, your, about your thoughts, way back you went way back when you were listening to the song "Young Paul," sung by Jeremy Taylor. You were, you were speaking of the. You were commenting about the autobiographical nature, as far as you're concerned. You know. And you decided. Do people decide at a certain time, you think? You said when you were 25, you freaked out. Mm -hmm. Was there a certain one event that was an accumulation of things? It was a series of events at that time that, that I just couldn't cope with life. Uh, uh, the work that I was doing was too much for me. I was spending too much time at work. Um, I didn't have any social life. And uh, things just got too much for me. And I just completely freaked out for about three days and wound up in the hospital. I'm thinking of something else now. I go, uh, I'm haunted by what Ali said, haunted because it's so basic. The sense of powerlessness, you know. The sense of power come back. What about you, Big Bob? You yourself, you're a big guy, you're very lively, you're full of vitality. 
Were you a troublesome guy when you were in yeah. those places? Yes, I was. I was. I steered when I was in the, in the hospital after I got out of the, from Bernard to Dixon. An employee hit me, and I hit him back, and they were going to send me back there. And I told him that I was there to get help, not to be, be bruised up, to be picked yeah. up. Yeah. You know who you sound like? You look like McMurphy. He's one, he one of the heroes of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Mm -hmm. And uh, McMurphy could be, in real life, Big Bob. Isn't that so? Oh, well, Ollie, you know, you, you know the Ken Kesey novel. Ollie. Right. I, I saw the play, and mm -hmm. uh, there's a similarity. Marilyn, do you know the Ken Kesey's novel? No, but, I don't. But you're going to go that night to see it, though. I'd like to. I haven't bought a ticket yet. Hmm? I haven't bought a ticket yet. I'll buy you a ticket. Okay. <laughs> How many tickets would you like to buy? Well, I'll buy uh, four right around here. But <laughs> 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 you can't come with, huh? Well, I saw it. I won't be here then, so uh. I'll be in Sweden. I just want to buy one for my girl, a girlfriend sitting right beside me when I'm watching it. Okay. You know? Let's come back to what we're talking about. To um, to yourselves, your thoughts now. Do you feel, since you've been together, when was the Committee of Us formed? About two years ago. Uh -huh. And uh, okay, since we've been together, we've done, uh, for a while we were operating out of our office without the coffee house, and we were doing night programs. It ran anywhere from an informal group on poetry all the way into a heavy psychodrama. Um, we also had guitar music some nights. Uh, Sometimes we just had rap groups and just sat around and talked about ourselves and made friends that way. Since we moved out of the office into the coffee house, we haven't had as many night programs, but we've had more chance to be friends and just rap and talk over a nickel cup of coffee. Um, right now, we don't know where the coffee house is going because the place where we are is, is going to be moving. So we're looking for a new place for a coffee house. Uh, probably will be moved up further north if we continue with the coffee house. That's another decision that we have to make. Right now we're being funded by W. Clement Stone, and uh, our money's running out. Um, we don't know for sure if he's going to renew his grant or not. Well, he can get all that Agnew money back. You know, <laughs> the stuff that went to Agnew, so he can get all the funds back and get uh, that and give it to go. That would help, you know. Yeah. Uh, because he had support him. I get all At least that. we're doing a good yeah. cause. Yeah. We're not throwing it but out the window. Yeah. Well, let, let's come back to to uh, Maryland. We've been quiet here. You were saying that you've been sick all your life. You, you, you said you're sick now. Do you feel a little different now since you remember this group? I'm just curious. In some ways, I was never. I never knew of such a group before. And um, I liked the idea of uh, people meeting with one another, sitting around talking. But the problem is that we're all poor, you know, we're not wealthy, and we do kind of leech off of one another. That's what I don't like, really. Well, you call that leech off one another. That's funny. You say you open up much money. Well, I mean, some yeah. people don't want to, like me, if, I, if somebody will give me a cigarette, I'll give them one back when I have one. That's not leeching, is it? No, I don't think so. But some people won't give you a cigarette pack when you need one. It's too bad an American Tobacco Company couldn't give us a lot of cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's mostly. You know, I'd like to. I'd like to know if anybody 
would have a chance to rent us a, uh, either we like to have a bus or something so we can take people out of, like out of the nursing homes, and folks homes, and halfway houses like to picnics and camping and stuff like that. We like to have these, but we can't afford it right now. So you've got the ideas, you've got the people. You've we've got, got the, the ideas, but we don't have the bread. You've we got don't have the money. Powers, likely, uh, the money. I think it would be great if we could get a bus. A bus. Well, maybe mm. somebody could have an extra bus could lend you or something. That's sure. possible. So I, I, well, let's just, just say that to the audience there, a bus. And the other is uh, mostly for those listening as well as for yourselves to see this quite beautiful production of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, the 11th Street Theater. And it's the benefit for the committee of us and homecoming together. And that's on October 28th. That's a Sunday night? Yeah. Mm -hmm. October 28th, uh, 28th. And it's 275-7997 to call. Your ticket should be a tremendously power performance that night too with an audience that very fully understands the play too uh, could we thoughts that we haven't talked about as we're winding up this hour for now I hope we can meet again some more and talk some more about things uh, Marilyn what else comes to your mind are you from Chicago yes I am mm -hmm. In, anything comes to your mind Felix saying now no okay Ali? I just want to say that, you know, we're, we're supporting one another, but we need people's support, you know. And I left, you know, Uptown, Bob and I were discussing this morning, Uptown is a mental health ghetto. And one of, one of my friends from the committee and I went down to the near north side last week and he said, you know, this is like the country. And that's the near north side, which is a semi-ghetto itself. So um, a lot of changes that have to be made in Uptown. A lot of people have to get out of Uptown. And a lot of changes have to be made, you know, for all of us in this country together. That's, you know, everybody. You see this, you see your condition and what you're doing as indicative of the world outside, too, of every other part of our society, too. I'm saying, yeah. you know, I'm saying what the mental health system wants us to do yeah. is remain isolated. Yeah. You know, tranked up, electroshocked, sitting in sheltered homes all day you know, playing cards. And what we have to do is get in the community and link hands with everybody. Well, one question to ask you, Ollie, what's the attitude of the people of Uptown? Of course, many people Uptown are in your, your position, right. but the others toward the halfway houses there. Well, the residents have, you know, a lot of mixed feelings about, about where they live, a lot of complaints. Um, some of the people in the area, you know, feel the area is unsafe for one reason or another. But the reason the area is unsafe is not because people are crazy. The reason the area is unsafe, you know, has to do with the fact that nobody has any money, you know, and people are starving, you know. And we don't let our members, you know, sleep, sleep in the alleys. <laughs> but uh, there's a lot of people who have no other alternative, you know. And it's a very poor place to live, you know. It's a depression. And, you know, we can't allow ourselves to, de de to be depressed in any way possible. We just have to keep fighting. We can't give up. Big Bob. Well, myself, I'm glad I'm on this here, discussing it, and, and, I, and I think it, we, we are, we're, gain, we're gaining something out of it, you know. That's me. And uh, what I really think, I, I wish there's more people get get together and do, do it like us, you know. 
You know, Big Bob, you said that you're glad you're gaining something out of this. Well, I am, certainly. And I have a feeling the members of the audience are. They're gaining perhaps even more than you are. I, I hope so. The need is for all of us, really. It's my, my, own, my own hunch. Medium Bob. We were talking about the Uptown community, and it wasn't too long ago that Uptown was kind of a dumping ground for all the people from the, uh, the state hospitals and things like that. And there was a lot of concern at that time in the newspapers and, and other media uh, outlets that said that Uptown was a mental health ghetto. Um, it, it hasn't been too long now since the people of Uptown, the people that are okay in Uptown, not, not the people that have been in halfway houses or, or state institutions said that they didn't want any more shelter care homes. They didn't want any more ex-mental patients. Um, so Uptown is really a confused community because they say they want to help. They're building a mental health center there. They're, they're trying to do everything they can in the community. And yet they don't want any more people coming in that they can help that, that could make it a therapeutic community, that could um, expand some of the help that they get in the halfway house out into the street. And I think that Uptown could be a place where therapy could go on in the street if people were concerned. You know, perhaps that's the way to end this program. Bob's thought that this could be a therapeutic community. And in a way, if I could be metaphorical, this is the idea. That therapeutic community that could be Uptown, thanks to the Committee of Us and to Homecoming and to people who've had the experience would apply to poor people, welfare people, all others on the outside, could really be a way salvation for the rest of the city and perhaps the society. And thanking of Big Bob, Medium Bob, Marilyn, and Ollie for being here. And just to remind the audience the benefit on behalf of the groups of one flew over the cuckoo's nest Sunday night, October 28th, and you can get tickets, five bucks a ticket, which is quite reasonable. And it's 275-7997. That's a meeting of art and life. <laughs> Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you.